We had a great day last week. So again, thank you so much for doing what you did. And I also want to take just a moment and to thank our amazing volunteers who helped us uh, in many ways to pull last weekend off. It's never, listen, 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 listen. It's never easy to do the things that we do, but we love to do the things that we do. We love events and we love celebrating things in your life uh, as a church. And again, those things have been kind of put on hold uh, with COVID and not knowing if we were going to be here or not be here and what all that was going to look like. So we kind of suspended a lot of the things that we were used to doing. But we love doing those kind of things like Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas Eve, all those kind of things. And we love doing them with excellence. So a big thank you to all the volunteers who helped make that happen. Uh, again, we could not do it without them. And a lot of that, well, most all of that is done uh, with volunteers. Uh, people just who have giftings and have a desire to help. And so, again, we're so thankful that uh, they jump in and help us accomplish the things that we do because we love doing that for you. And there are special events uh, in your life, and we want to celebrate those with you. There are a couple of items I want to highlight this morning in the worship guide. Again, I hope you'll make a habit of uh, seeing one of our guest service team members when you come in each week. Again, we don't have a lot of special announcements right yet because we're kind of gearing things back up. But if you'll get a worship guide, fill that tear off out each week when you come, put your personal information on there. I know it seems to be redundant, but I don't care, okay? So just fill that thing out. The most important part is the backside where you put down your prayer request because we have a team of people who love to pray with you and to pray for you, and we want to know what your prayer needs are. And then you'll just always fill that out and exit uh, after the service. They'll have the offering bucket there, and you'll put your offering in the bucket if it's cash or check, and you'll also put that tear-off in there, and we'll get those things together on Sunday afternoon, and we immediately send those prayer requests out so that we can begin praying for you. Uh, two things in there I want to highlight. Again, this is kind of a moving target. Uh, next weekend is scheduled to be Baptism Sunday at Crossroads. Uh, we already know that a lot of people are traveling. I've already seen where you're going, and I'm praying for rain wherever you go. So, because I can't go, I'm just kidding, I'm not doing that. Uh, anyway, uh, it's supposed to be Baptism Sunday next week, and again, that will all depend on if people are here and people, uh, you know, can be here to be baptized in either the 8.30 or 10 o'clock service. So, let me just say this, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your leader, as your forgiver, as your savior, then the next step for you, logically is, biblically, is baptism. So, you heard me talk about this on Easter, you know, you make a decision in your heart, you declare it with your mouth, and, and then you also declare it with your body by being baptism, baptized, because baptism is identifying with the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you, if you have not taken that step, take that step next weekend, uh, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to ask you, if you will, to indicate that on a tear-off right there, that part of that worship guide, just say, I want to be a part of one of the baptism services next weekend on the 22nd. Uh, and somebody will get in touch with you this week, and we will schedule you in which service works best, 8.30 or 10 o'clock. So again, let us know. You can also stop by the information kiosk. There's a baptism packet there. You don't necessarily have to fill that out, but we do like to get you to fill that out, get that information back to us. Uh, somebody, again, will talk to you. And let me just go ahead and say, if uh, because of schedules, nobody can do next weekend, uh, we understand. Uh, we'll schedule you for sometime probably in late June. But again, we want to know. So again, if the best way to communicate is email for you, 
You can email info, I-N-F-O, at crossroadslebanon.com, and you can also let us know there. That's the first announcement. There's also an announcement in the worship guide that says, I think it says, an urgent need. And I just, I just want to go ahead and address this. Uh, this is the kind of the elephant in the room today, if you will. Uh, because again, you know, last week was Mother's Day, and I, I kind of talked about, you know, the last two years and how it's impacted us and how it's impacted parents and impacted mothers. And can I just be really honest with you this morning? I'm tired of talking about the last two years. I'm just tired of talking about it. But I do have to say this. You guys know that the last two years have been difficult. They've been difficult for you, and they've been difficult for any church, any church. And I'm going to tell you this morning that the beauty of, 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 you've heard me speak about this, the beauty of this is that, that we as a church made it through a very difficult time. And, and, and in that difficult time uh, where we did not meet for like five months, and then we had two or three pauses even after those five months, uh, and nobody was attending, and we didn't have a presence online with Facebook at that time. We had to do that kind of after. Uh, we should have been ahead of the ball game, but we were not. Nevertheless, we didn't attend for about five months, and then again, we had those pauses uh, a couple of weeks here, a couple of weeks there between those five months and the end of the year in 2020. Uh, again, you have to understand that people weren't attending, uh, people were not serving, and, and people were not giving. And again, our, our government, in, in order to try to help people who were in the business world, and the church is kind of a business, the, 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 the government came up with this idea that, you know, to, to help people make it through this difficult time, they were going to give you money uh, to make sure that your business or your church or whatever kept going. They called that a PPP loan. And again, uh, it, it was something that was offered to all the churches uh, and to all nonprofits and to businesses. And, and, and I'm just going to be just, just totally honest with you this morning. They started talking about giving the church money. Now, this is the government, people. And, 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 and immediately, I got this check in my spirit that the church does not need to be in bed with the government. And, and I was sitting in my car, which at that time was a little, toy, uh, a little uh, Hyundai Tucson, and uh, I was sitting out in front of the steps. I'd actually pulled up onto the sidewalk there and was getting ready to come in. And uh, honestly, this is going to sound a little weird to some of you because you're going to say, like, that's never happened to me, but I'm just, just ro roll with me on this. It was like the Holy Spirit said, Randy, no, no part of that. You take no part of that. You have no part of taking money from the government. And I heard that as clear as I can see these lights shining on my face. It, it was just that clear. And I called a couple of people who attend Crossroads just because I wanted accountability. I called our leadership team and I said, Here, here's what I believe. And here's what I believe that God has shown me and said to me. And that's that we don't get in bed with the government. We don't take their money. And so we endured a very, very difficult time by not taking, let, let me tell you why we don't take the government's money. I don't trust the government. And, and again, I'm not trying to get political. Let, let, let's just listen to what I'm saying. I was just afraid that in this language 
that they were going to give me this money so that we can make it through a difficult time, there would ultimately be something that I didn't read in the correct way, and then somewhere down the road, they could come back to me and say, well, remember, you took this money for, from us, so now you can't speak about that or preach about that. And again, I just said that the government and the church do not need. Here's the thing. Let me just tell you this morning. If we were doing what the church is designed to do, we'd be loaning the government money. That's just the way it would be. But we made it through a difficult time, and we didn't take the government's money. But, but, but again, uh, it's one of those things. Uh, as I look at it and I think about it, the last two years have been difficult. And I've seen this across churches of all denominations and churches who are not a denomination, who are just interdenominational like we are. And, and again, when I think about that, uh, I, I have seen that, that the natural reaction to people in this very difficult environment is that people have gotten lazy. In, in all aspects of life, am I right? They, they've gotten lazy. They don't want to work. They don't want to do anything. A as it relates to the church, they quit attending. They quit serving, and they quit giving. And luckily for us as a church, we didn't take the PPP money, we didn't take the government's money, but we had some reserves set aside, and those reserves got us through the difficult time. But now we're about to hit the summer, and those reserves have been depleted. And not only that, we actually are in a process of having to replace lots of equipment that has been here since we started 16 years ago. You might have noticed it last weekend. We had all those monitors and stuff up here because between the two Sundays, we had a piece of equipment that failed us. And we just couldn't do church like we normally would do church. And we didn't say anything. But you probably noticed that things on the stage with me look different. And that's because the equipment broke down and we just had to adjust the best that we could. We've had a soundboard that has been ordered since last summer. And because of all the supply chain issues that you're having to deal with just like we are, that soundboard was supposed to have been here last October, and it just now arrived in May. And we need to get it installed before the one that we have back there, again, that's been there since the church started, before it gives up the ghost. And it's done. We have numerous other pieces of equipment, computers and such, that need to be replaced. And I don't say this to be funny, but to be honest, we're at a crossroads. I mean, we're at a crossroads. Our giving on a weekly basis is about 60% of our weekly budget. Our weekly budget is $12,500 a week. That includes everything that's rent, insurance, salaries, all, all the ministries, uh, things we donate to, every, everything. When before COVID, we had five staff people. We now have two. We've cut, we've cut everywhere we can. We've cut everywhere we can. Last week, your offering was $7,098. $12,500 is the budget. That's about 60% of what we need. So here's what I'm, I'm not up here to guilt you. I'm not up here to guilt you at all. I'm just asking you to try to make giving to your church a priority. 
If you've not been giving, start giving. If you are a giver, then just think about increasing your giving. Look, 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 I get it. The Happy Meal that you used to get for $2.99 is now $7.99. I get that, okay? It's the same for me as it is for you. But if you can gift and you can give a one-time gift that's, that's, you know, of substantial amount or of any amount, give it so we can get back on track and so that we can see the things that need to be replaced, those things can get replaced. Again, I'm going to tell you this. I've already told you this once. I have seen four churches of pastors that I know close. It's no longer four churches. It's now five. I was talking to another friend the other day, and I said, how are you doing? How are things going? He said, Randy, I'm not doing it anymore. We closed the church, and we leased out the building. Simply because people will not attend, and they will not serve, and they will not give. And it takes all of those things for any church to follow the vision and the mission that God has given them. Because that's what we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus. Listen, listen to me. It's time, it's talent, it's treasure. And again, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not afraid to talk about this. And I will talk about it when it fits and where it fits in a series, if we're in that series. Or when we have a situation like this. Because here's the thing. Let, let, me, let me just tell you, some of, the, some of you. And we have the people watching online. When you choose not to attend church and when you don't give and you don't serve, you know what that communicates? That the church and God is not important to you. It's not important to you and your family and your kids and your friends around you. They know that. They watch what you do. They listen to what you say. And they see how you get up on Sunday morning and you go to the trouble of going to church. Let me tell you this morning, your family knows, your kids know. I said it last week. As far as Gump says, and that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> We're going to jump back into the series this morning, which I'm really excited about this. Uh, because again, if you were here for week one and week two, then you already know that what we've done is we've taken what I would say are some of the most complicated, it's kind of the most complicated set of verses uh, that's actually found in the New Testament. And we've walked through it and we've kind of taken it apart and picked it apart so that we could see how this actually applies to our lives as a follower of Christ. In other words, how do I take these verses from the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, how do I do these verses and take them and apply them, and how do they apply to me as a Christian? And honestly, I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. The, the verses that we have been looking at are, are so complex in just reading them, and you're going to see what I'm talking about in just a moment ago, uh, when we look at them in just a moment. They're so complex, and they can be so complicated that we have this tendency to kind of just want to skip over it. But we have to remember, this is what it's all about when we're looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. Now, as we get started this morning, I, I want to give you two things to think about, and you're going to see these on the screen behind me. 
The first one is this. This, again, kind of goes back to the first two weeks. It kind of gives you a, a Cliff Notes version of what some of what we talked about in the first two weeks. The first thing is this. Jesus gave his life for us to forgive us from the penalty of sin. Jesus gave his life for us to forgive us from the penalty of sin. That's not it, though. Here's the second thing. Look at the second thing. The second thing is this. Jesus not only gave his life for us, but he gave his life to us so that he could set us free from the power of sin. Now, here's the thing I want you to do this morning. I want you to go with me on this because, again, you have to understand this is not just about forgiveness. That's all some people hear. It's not just about forgiveness. This is about freedom. He set us free from the penalty of sin, but also set us free from the power of sin. You know, as I look back at my life, and I look at many of you, I can tell you this morning by, just by, by looking at some of you and, and seeing some of you as you came in, you're, you're caught up in a cycle. It's just kind of what I call the cycle of life. We're, we're just continuing to do life and the way that we see our life as a follower of Jesus. And we think, you know what? This is just the way that it is. This is just what it means. And this is what it looks like to be a Christian. And yet at the very same time, it's the cycle that I'm talking about that I'm alluding to. It's that very cycle that has caused many people, some of you in the past, it's that cycle that caused you to leave the church. Some of you left the church when you were younger, and it was because of this cycle. So you're probably wondering, what are you talking about when you talk about this cycle? Well, let me, let me kind of give you what I think this cycle is. It's where we, we become a Christian and we say, you know, I, I, I just know. I know I need to do better. I know I ought to do good. I know I shouldn't lust and I shouldn't steal and I shouldn't covet. I know I shouldn't do this. I know I shouldn't do that. So we say to God, God, I'm going to do the very best that I can. And we kind of set a new standard where we used to be living life down here. We set a new standard for life here. And once, here's what happens. Once we set the new standard, it's almost like sin comes alive, isn't it? It's like sin comes alive in you. It's like now that you're following Jesus, there are new and better opportunities for you to sin. You've got more opportunities to sin than you've ever had before. And, and suddenly you find yourself in this very awful dilemma. And then what happens is when you actually commit a sin or you give in to that sin, you start to feel guilty. And you're like, oh, is this, this is what it's like to follow Jesus? Well, this guilt or the condemnation that comes with the sin that you committed, this ain't fun. And, and you start feeling bad. Or, or maybe it's like this. Maybe the extreme of this is when a person says, you know, I'm just not any good at being a Christian. I'm just not any good at following Jesus. I just can't keep myself 
maintaining that standard. So I just think, you know, as I look at my life, I would be better off not being one. It's just too hard. I've tried and I can't do it. So I'm out of here. Now hear me. This is not the life that God has called us to live. When we became a follower of Jesus, when we became a Christian, he gave us the life of Jesus. He gave us the life of Jesus Christ. And that didn't mean that once he gave us the life of Jesus, that Jesus comes along and gives us this long list of things that we need to do. No, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I have come to give you life, my life. And when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and forgiver, we were placed in Christ. Which which means that the benefits of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, those benefits are placed in you. And sin can tempt you and come after you and taunt you and scream at you. But you have the power in Christ to say to sin, no, I don't want to do that anymore. But see, here's the thing. Many many of us are caught in this cycle. We're caught in this struggle. And and this morning, that's what I want us to talk about. I want us to talk about that struggle, that cycle that I've been alluding to over these last few minutes. And what we've been doing in the first two weeks of this series is we've been looking at what the Apostle Paul has been saying. And this morning, what Paul is going to do in some very complicated scripture, Paul is going to break down this this cycle. He's going to break down the struggle that, that all of us have experienced or that some of us are actually living in right now. And Paul's going to break it down, but then at the end, Paul's going to give you the solution. And let me just say that having the solution to this cycle, to this struggle, it's good news. Because Paul tells us that we can't live the way that we used to live because in Jesus, we're not who we used to be. Now, again, let me highlight something before we dive into this. As we're talking about this for, about this, this morning, there's going to be something in your spirit that rises up when you hear me talk about this. There's going to be something that rises up in your spirit that says, you know, I just wish what Randy was saying was true. I just wish this was true. If only what Randy was saying and teaching me this morning, if only this could be true for me. And that's what you need to know. What we're going to look at this morning and what we're talking about, it can be true for you. Paul has already said that when Christ died, Not only did Christ conquer sin, now listen to what I'm saying, not only did he conquer sin, but he also conquered the law. Meaning that we don't approach God through the law 
any longer. Let me, let me make that simple. You don't have to approach God on your own merit. The law is not the way that you find God's acceptance. But you need to understand why the law is there. See, Paul says that as a Christian, or because sin dwells in your mortal body, which we addressed two weeks ago in the second week of this series, that when you became a Christian, sin took advantage of God's law. And sin leveraged God's law against you. And sin did that in order to bring condemnation into your life. Sin uses God's law to bring failure into your life. And here's how that works. When you're a Christian and you follow Jesus and you're tempted, then you immediately find yourself at odds with God's law. I know what God's law wants me to do, but this is what I want to do. And Paul is saying that sin in your mortal body is using God's law against you to keep you in this endless cycle which ultimately keeps you from living the abundant life. Now, we're about to dive into these verses, the words of the Apostle Paul, and I want you to understand, read them slowly and digest them because, again, there is a tendency with all of us just to read over this and think it's not important. But here's what Paul says in Romans 7, verse 9. Look at it behind me on the screen. He says, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. What Paul is saying is that there was a time that I thought I was okay. But then there came a time when I said, God, you know what? You're, you're so good and God, you're so righteous and you're so holy. I want to do everything that you want me to do, and I want to be everything that you want me to be. So, God, I'm going to keep the law, and I'm going to please you. And here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that as we became aware of God's law, it's just like that sin that dwells in you, that sin inside of you, it just came to life. It just, it just sprang to life. And, and the more that I knew that I shouldn't do something, Come on, somebody. The more I wanted to do it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The more that I knew I shouldn't think about something, then the more I wanted to think about it. Let me give you an example. I, about two weeks ago, I was at Charlie's Tire, and I was having somebody check one of the tires on my vehicle, and it's Dalton, and I think Dalton goes to Hillcrest. And I said, Dalton, dude, you're looking good. I said, what are you, what are you doing? He said, I, I started about eight months ago. He said, I started this intermittent fasting. And I'd heard people talk about that. And I said, so tell me how that works. And he said, well, he said, I, I, only, eat from 11, I only eat between 11 uh, a.m. and 7 p.m. From 7 p.m. till 11 the next day, I don't eat anything. 
And I thought, you know what, I can do that. I mean, I've, I've always been a breakfast eater, but I, I think I can handle that. You can have water, uh, coffee, you can have no, no sweeteners, and you can have unsweetened tea. Which, it, why would people drink unsweetened tea? I have no idea. So anyway, uh, that's, that's a sin against humanity in itself. You know what I mean? Can I get an amen on that one? I mean, if you're going to go, go all the way, go sweet. You know what I mean? I, anyway, so uh, I said, I'm going to try that. So I tried that, and, and, and I'm into it about a week. And uh, I, I'm at home one night by myself. Uh, I I'd met the cutoff at 7 o'clock, and my wife had gone to a, a, a little group of ladies who meet once a month, and, and she came back, and she woke me up when she came back, and she said, yeah, they sent you some chicken salad and some cake. Well, of course, I didn't get out of the bed, and I said, okay. And, and I got up the next morning, and again, remember, I'm fasting until 11 o'clock, and I look over in the Pyrex dish, and there's this chocolate cake. And I know I shouldn't do it. I know I'm not supposed to do it. But that chocolate cake is calling my name. It's rising up in my body. You know what I'm saying? Like seeing. And I just made my way on. I, and you know what I thought? I thought I'll just take one bite. And I took another bite. And I took another bite. And I took another bite. It's like it was just calling my name, and it rose up in me, and I did something that I knew I wasn't supposed to do. That's what I'm talking about. But look at verse 10. Verse 10, Paul says this, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity provided or afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. Now, leave that, leave that up there on the screen so they can see it. For sin deceived me. That's what that cake did. It's like a force. See, here's the thing we have to remember. Sin dwells in our mortal body, in our flesh. And here is the way that sin will deceive you. Sin makes you believe that the battle, the conflict that you're going through, is between us and God's law. The battle is between me and God's law. See, here's the thing. We talked about this in week two. Sin does not want to raise its head as something separate. Sin does not want to raise its head as a separate entity. So my tendency is to identify with my sinful desires that come from sin. Instead of identifying with Christ who I am now in. Instead of identifying Christ, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. But instead of, identify, instead of identifying with Christ, I identify with sin. That's the deception. So my experience is like your experience. I end up doing something that I don't want to do. 
And then, without meaning to do this, we digress from what God has called us to do. And we go back to the law. And ultimately, we spend the rest of our Christian life dealing with the law and trying to keep the law. Trying to be good. And thus, what happens is we stay in this endless cycle of feeling defeated and frustrated. It's like, listen to what I'm saying. It's like that sin that was just lying dormant in you. It just was laying there until you placed your faith in Jesus. And once you became aware of God and what God meant for your life, and you became a Christian, once you became a Christian, Paul is just saying, it's like that sin just got active, and it just sprang up. So, so Paul comes along, and Paul realizes that there's this cycle. He realizes there's this struggle out there, and the only way that you're going to deal with this struggle is for you to start looking at that cycle, looking at that struggle in a different way. You need to look at it in a brand new way. It's not just your will against God's law. There's another thing that you have to understand. There is something that we need to understand, and the thing that we need to understand is that that sin that dwells in your body is powerful. That's what Paul wants you to see. He wants you to see the power of sin. You have to embrace the fact that you're not just a sinner because you sin, but because sin dwells in your body. You're not a good person who occasionally does bad things, and we talked about that in the first week of this series. You're someone who your who sin actually dwells in their mortal body. And until you acknowledge that, you will never be able to fully embrace the solution to this dilemma. Look at verse 15. Paul says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Sound familiar? Ever had that experience that you knew you shouldn't do it, but you wanted to do it anyway? See, for some of you, you're looking at what Paul says behind me on the screen, and you're saying, this is the first thing that this guy has said that I get. This is the first thing that I can relate to. But look at the next verse. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Now, it's in that last verse. This, this is the place, verses 16 and 17, this is the place that Paul introduces sin into the equation. 
He wants you to understand that as you evaluate your struggle, as you evaluate your addiction, your tendencies, you've got to learn to factor in something. You've got to factor in the power of the sin that resides in you. Look, look at verse 18. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't do it. I cannot carry it out. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about his mortal, sinful, dying body. He says, I cannot carry it out. Let's all say it together, right? Let's say it together. I cannot carry it out. It's not that I don't want to. You just find yourself unable to do it even after you pray, even after you memorize Scripture. There's still something in me, and I cannot carry it out. Let me tell you this morning, when you, when you say that, you know, I want to do it, but I can't do it, I cannot carry it out, you just need to hear me say, my lips to your ear. Knowing that you cannot carry it out, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not messed up. Because here's the thing you need to hear. You are not going to be able to carry it out. You can pray all you want. You can memorize scripture all you want. You still will not be able to carry it out. But look at verse 19. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Paul's not Paul, he's not saying that when you lose your temper that you can just say, oh, sorry, it was sin living in me. Oops, I didn't mean to do that. It's just sin living in me. You can't do that. Teenagers, when you sneak out of the house at night and you get caught, let me just tell you this. Don't come messing up with my mailbox. He's not saying that when you get caught teenagers that you can just say, oh, you know, sorry, it was the sin living in me. You can't say that. The point that Paul is making is that you don't get to live just any way that you want to live. You can't live any way that you want and then excuse it off as sin. He's saying as you evaluate the source of your struggle, you have to factor in the fact that sin dwells in your mortal body. It's not an issue of self-control. It's not an issue of maturity or commitment. Because listen to what I'm saying. At the end of the day, none of us, you cannot carry it out. And the thing that the sin wants you to do, that, that sin that dwells in your mortal body, the thing that sin wants is that you live your Christian life defeated because you can't carry it out? Or you just quit living the Christian life 
because you feel like such a loser. Look at the next verse. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the member of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Now look at how he concludes this. What a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. Paul is saying, you know what? Here's what he's saying. I'm pathetic. I'm so pathetic. I'm so sick. I'm so screwed up. I need counseling. And that's all of us. That's all of us. Whatever your addiction is, whatever you're dealing with, whatever it is, we have a problem. Sexual addiction, temper, anger. And we think, I'm a Christian. I should know better than this. You remember when your parents used to tell you, you know better than that. How many times did you respond by saying, well, of course I knew better. We just can't carry out the very things that we know that we need to carry out. And here's the good news. That's not what God has called you to. And that's not the place that God has left you. But see, here's the thing. If that's all you've known up until today, then I'm just praying that God will open your eyes and your heart to the very thing that Paul says next. Look at it because he says it in the next verse, and what he says in the next verse is so important. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't ask, what can I do? He doesn't ask, how can I conquer this? He doesn't ask, what program do I need to join or what podcast do I need to listen to? He says, who will rescue me? It's not what, it's not how. It's a who. And he's saying to us this morning, Crossroads, don't you understand to break the cycle, to break through the dilemma, it's not you. It's not the law. It's not sin. It's who? It's a who. It's Jesus Christ. And look at verse 25. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He throws it back. I wanted to say he circles back, but I didn't want to say that. You know what I'm saying? He throws it back to this simple truth. 
And the simple truth is this. When you became a Christian, you were placed in Christ. And in that moment, listen, the power of sin was broken. And hear me this morning. Yes, sin is alive in your mortal body. And sin can tempt you and sin can taunt you. But listen to me this morning, Crossroads. You have the power to say no to sin. No sin, you can't have my eyes. No sin, you can't have my ears. Because sin, look right here, you have no power over me. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a couple of tips that I believe will help you break this cycle, to break through this dilemma that we all find ourselves in. And here's the very first thing, and it's going to sound a little bit crazy. You just need to talk to sin. You just need to talk to sin. Now, let me tell you, all of us in this room, those watching, listening online, we all struggle with some kind of sin, some of us more than others. But you just need to talk to sin. You just need to treat sin like a separate entity. You just have to have the courage to to stand up and to address sin. No sin, you can't have my eyes. You can't have my ears. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to watch that. You just need to say, sin, you know what? We're not even going to go there today. Because you're not going to drag me back into that dilemma again. That's the first thing you need to do. Just, Just speak to sin. Treat sin as a separate entity. Here's the second thing. You want to start to look at sin like it's something that's coming at you. And when it gets to you, it doesn't meet you, but it meets Jesus. When sin starts coming your way, you push Jesus out in front. And it's not you, it's Jesus. Because let me tell you this morning, when sin confronts Christ... When sin comes against Christ, it's a whole different game. It's not sin against Randy, who's trying to be good for God. So what you need to do is at the very outset, listen to me this morning, at the very outset of temptation, realize that it's not coming, sin's not coming against me, but against Christ in me. Because it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And that's just a way of identifying who you truly are. Instead of identifying with the pull of that sin that dwells in your mortal body. See, to me, it's like this. It's almost if God was saying, if only you could see the way that I see you. Because I'm going to tell you, I see you as a people who are free from the power of sin, but you just don't know it. See, day after day, you think you have to say yes to sin. But if only you could see you the way that I see you, you would say no every time. You think that you can't love the way that you should love? 
But God looks at you and says, you know what? I see the potential in you to love the unlovable. I just wish you would exercise that potential that you have in me. Some of you came into this auditorium this morning, some of you watching online, listening online, and you would say the biggest issue in your life is trust. I just can't trust anymore. And you know what God is saying? If only you could see you as I see you. Because I know you have the power to trust again. Because I live in you. You have my life. I live in you and I have no fear. So God says, just allow me to be your courage. Maybe this morning you're here and you're single and you say, well, what if, what if I never meet anybody? What if I never get into a relationship? And Christ says, if only you could see yourself the way that I see you, you wouldn't be afraid of the future. You would never be afraid of the future because I live in you. And that can be true of you. And that can be true of me. And it begins when we start to think through this dynamic. Because all of my life, I've been doing this battle with the law. But it's not me and the law. It's Christ in me and me in Christ. My battle is not with the law, but with sin. I have authority over sin. I can say no. No sin, I'm not going to do that. Because sin, you are no longer my master. And you can walk in freedom. Would you bow your heads with me and pray this morning all across this room? God, the words of Paul are so eye-opening, heart-opening. It's, it's such illumination to allow us to understand that there is a freedom that's available to us. A freedom that many of us have not experienced because we've been caught up in that cycle we've been caught up in that dilemma of thinking this is just the way the Christian life is supposed to be and God my hope and my prayer this morning is that through these feeble words of mine and these powerful words of the Apostle Paul that we brought some hope to people who have been living as prisoners in that dilemma in that struggle that today they can be the people that you've called them to be and that they can walk in freedom understanding that it's found in Jesus and him alone so God would you do in all of our lives what only you can by your spirit would you speak and God would we listen so we can be the people that you've called us to be people who walk in freedom in Christ as we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus commands my destiny. 